Hey guys, on today's pod, I had on Anthony Doyle of Raptors Republic. Anthony is one of the best people covering the team right now and has some really great insight into the team in general and what's been going on lately. We discussed Greg Monroe's role with this team, whether anything is going to be made at the deadline, whether it's time to be concerned with the bench, and how many Raptors will make the All-Star game. As a disclaimer, these dogs do make a couple quick appearances, so please do not feel that I am growling or barking at any of his takes. McGrady will make the pass. McGrady looking, looking, looking. Loops it in. Carter's going to get a shot off. He does. Got it! Ross and Amir. Here's Jose. Three seconds. Gives it to DeRozan. DeRozan's fading. What a tough shot. And it goes! DeRozan with plenty of time. Five seconds. DeRozan on the drive. It's hit from the corner. Van Vliet. Van Good. A two. The Raptors lead with 1.1 to play. Hello, Anthony Doyle. How is it going? I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, doing good on this Saturday morning. We are recording before the Memphis game. It will be released after that time. How are your thoughts on the Raptors so far? I just I'll start there. It, it's been a fun season. I mean, it's you read fan reactions right now. It, it doesn't feel like it's been that fun of a season. There's been a lot of stress in the fan base, but I've enjoyed it. I mean, we have a there's a superstar to watch in Toronto for the first time. <laughs> Yeah, this team is, I mean, if you just look at the statistics of this team and how they're playing, they're not as good as last year's team as far as performance on the court. But at the same time, you see the ceiling and you see flashes of a team that has so much more potential than last year. Yeah, I mean, last year they were, uh, they got their 34th win, they had 15 losses. So we're actually a little bit ahead of last year. Right, I'm just talking in terms yeah. of net rating and last year being top five in both. And this year you've seen a little bit of a step back from overall numbers. If you're talking pace for pace, yeah, at this time last year we were just about equal. It was kind of, I believe, at this point that they went on that big winning streak. Yeah, and la- like the schedule's very different than last year, too. Last year we had a very backloaded schedule. It was... what. March last year was just brutal in terms of uh, both like the pace of the schedule and um, the opponents. We had, if I remember right, a big road trip, and it was like uh, seven games in thirteen days or something like that at one point, where it was it, we were playing every night or every other night for about two weeks. And this year, we're we played more. The Raptors have played more games than almost any team in the league at this point. And uh, they've only got two, I want to say, two back-to-backs left in the rest of the season. And I, in terms of winning percentage against opponents, we have one of the easiest remaining winning or opponent stretches coming up here as well. Uh, Toronto's going to rank around the easiest schedule in the league. When you're the top team in the Eastern Conference, that's just how it's going to shake out because you don't play yourself and you play in the East, which is substantially weaker than the West, even with all the elite teams at the top. Well, yeah, and against the best teams in the West, we've already played both games against the Warriors, already played both games against Denver. Um, Raptors have the two games against Houston remaining. They have the two games against the Thunder remaining. 
But aside from that, most of the games against the best in the West are out of the way already at this point. And, you know, already played three against Boston, already played three against Philly, already played three against Milwaukee. It's Don't you find it weird that they front-loaded the schedule with top Eastern Conference opponents so much this season? You know, we don't play Philadelphia in the last month at all. I think we only play, we only play Boston one more time the rest of this year. I just thought from a scheduling perspective and from a TV ratings perspective that they would want to put those games kind of towards the back end of the schedule. Why do you think they didn't do that? I don't, like, I don't know why they gave the Raptors such a light last couple weeks of the schedule this year. It, it could be that they sort of anticipated that towards the end of the schedule, the best teams of the East will be looking to rest players. And, you know, you kind of want to get those games in with the mid-tier teams playing against each other for seeding, because that'll be where the interest is. But, I mean, the Raptors end the season with a run of Chicago, New York, Chicago, Orlando, Brooklyn, Charlotte, Miami, and Minnesota. Yeah. And that's, I mean, they, you can get a lot of rest for Kawhi and Kyle in there if you want to. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Kind of looking at the schedule and looking where Toronto is right now, do you think that Toronto, <clears throat> despite being in second place, is still kind of the front runner for the number one seed, or do you think that's kind of Milwaukee's to lose, especially it feels like they have a little bit more motivation? I would just slightly favor the Raptors to get the first seed right now, looking at scheduling. Um, the Bucks haven't actually been that good of a road team yet this season. They've just played a pretty home-heavy schedule. And, you, you know, you look at their schedule, they have a couple of huge road trips coming up. They have a five-game road trip at the end of this month that's Oklahoma City, Detroit, Toronto, Washington, and Brooklyn. And aside from Washington, none of those are really easy outs. And then they have another one coming up at the end of February with Chicago, Sacramento, Lakers, Jazz, and Suns. And there's some tough games in there, too. So I think there's some opportunities for Phoenix to take some losses that would give Toronto room to um, grab that top spot again. But I thought seeding was more important for the Raptors at the beginning of the season than I do at this point. And that's not because the East has been weaker, but just because, you know, with all the injuries Toronto has been through, um, being healthy for the playoffs is more important than seeding. And, you know, then you look at Milwaukee, they've been healthy basically the entire season. I mean, they're... Their starting lineup has missed a total of seven games between them. Eight games, I think. Yeah, somewhere around there. They've been extremely healthy. There's been, you know, no major injury to any of their big three with Giannis, Bledsoe, and Middleton. I think perhaps one of them's missed a couple games here and there, but for the most part, they've been incredibly healthy. And the one difference, I guess, what I'm looking at, where I would kind of push back on you, and I generally agree with your premise, I would say it's about an even race, if not favoring Toronto slightly, is the difference in net rating between the two teams. Milwaukee has a net rating of 9.7 as opposed to Toronto's 4.5, and yeah, injuries have a lot to do with that, but I would also say you know, that net rating of 9.7 suggests that Milwaukee is actually leaving a couple wins on the table. Yeah, they, I mean, they have been extremely impressive. The Raptors have definitely had their struggles. But, like, then you look at the Raptors. Um, if you look at when they have their their players healthy, 
their their lineups work out really well in those scenarios. And like we haven't really seen the bench at all this season healthy. Um, but the starters are really good when they're healthy. And if they can find some consistency in the bench, they should be able to bump that net rating up. Yet, I just think that the Raptors net rating, there's a lot of misleading information in there right now because of the circumstances of this season. You know, when you look at Kyle missed two weeks of games and Kawhi has missed nine or ten games so far this year, there's a lot of noise in there. Um, but Milwaukee, also, Milwaukee's road net rating drops to 4.7. Like, they... They really aren't the same team on the road, and they've only played. They have 21 road games remaining, so there's some room for that to slip a little bit. Their defense has quietly been. It's normalized a little bit as the season has gone on. They were the best in the league by far in October and November, and it slipped just a little bit. Sure, yeah, I, I, I'm less concerned with Toronto's. Is more just impressed with Milwaukee's net rating being better than Golden State or Houston's last year. I mean, it's just historic number. You, you mentioned their defense has slipped. It's still number one in the NBA. Um, but just kind of moving off that, I guess you mentioned seeding's not important. I would also kind of push back a little bit. I don't think that the one, two, or three seed is important. But I do think that you want to be in one of those three spots. Don't you think with, you know, potentially Boston being the fifth seed? Yeah, I would be shocked if they fall farther than second, though. I mean, the Indiana's at 15 losses. They're two losses back right now. But um, the game differential also comes into play there. Like, Raptor, the Raptors have played three more games than Milwaukee at this point. They've played um, two more than Indiana or the three more than Indiana as well. And so, uh, you know, that one extra loss they have on Milwaukee, it's not as big of a deal because they played more games. And I think that helps you going into the end of the season too, because you can get that rested. You can keep your guys rested as you get healthy. And then um, I don't trust Indiana to make up that extra two losses <laughs> personally. They don't, they seem like they're a little bit hit or miss on a night-to-night basis. And then, you know, Philadelphia, I'm not terribly worried about. And there's a five-loss differential between Toronto and Boston. And Boston just isn't enough a good enough road team for me to think that they can catch up. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I certainly think that Toronto's at least in the driver's seat to get that spot. I just did want to kind of note that I, if it were to be because of injury to Kawhi or something weird like that, that is kind of the point. The difference between that three and four seed to me is all the difference in the world in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, and, it, and it's important to note the Raptors only really have one bad loss all season, and that's that Orlando game. Yeah, I think it, they were. I believe they only have two losses to teams under five hundred. My, I need to look to double check to make sure. I believe the other one would be to Detroit. So checking uh, just to see. Yeah, they're also below 500, so they have two losses. And obviously the Detroit game had a whole different set of circumstances that are a little abnormal for a team. And and both Detroit and Orlando are within, like, two games of being in the playoff picture, too. So, I mean, those are bad losses, but they aren't terrible losses. Yeah, I, uh, I definitely agree with that. Go on, sorry. So the, the Raptors take care of business against bad teams, and that's... That's really important when you look at their schedule coming up and you're talking about seeding is because if they can continue to do that, 
I mean, even the other night against Phoenix, that was a tough game. They didn't really show up, but they found a way to get it done in the end, and that's sort of been the story of the season for the Raptors is when they're shorthanded, if they run into a bad team, they find a way to come out with the win. So I think, you know, if you can reasonably count on them to win most of their games against bad teams, it's easy to project them finishing with probably no more than, like, 18 to 20 losses, even if they have some bad luck with health down the rest of the stretch. So then, you know, in order to get into that range, Boston only needs to take two losses the rest of the way. Philadelphia only needs to take four. Indiana needs to only take five. And I'm not sure that's a reasonable proposition for any of those teams. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Uh, Something you mentioned a little bit earlier was the bench, and we haven't seen the bench yet. What is your, if I give you a one through 10, worry level on the bench right now? Um, They haven't performed, obviously. They've just been shuffled in and out of their normal rotation. They they haven't played great to this point, but don't you think there's some potential for them to improve coming up here? I think there's a lot of potential to improve. I, I would say my worry level at the bench is a, maybe a two. I'm probably one of the least worried people out there about the Raptors bench because, I mean, first of all, all of the injuries affect the bench, whether it's a starter getting hurt or a bench player getting hurt. So... If you assume what it currently looks like right now, that the long-term full bench lineup is, you know, Fred, DeLon, Norm, OG, and Jonas, that lineup's played zero minutes this season. (laughs) That's Um, that's crazy. That's a crazy stat. So, you know, like, the bench hasn't been the bench, and part of that was, you know, CJ was taking Norm's minutes to start the season, and OG's obviously been dealing with some personal stuff all season. Uh, Jonas broke his thumb. Fred and DeLon have each dealt with a little bit of health problems. So there's been a little bit going on with everybody. But then, you know, also, every time Kawhi takes a rest game, the bench isn't intact. Every time Kyle misses a game, which he missed, like, 13 of the last 16 or something. No, because he played the last five. So, But anyways, he missed like 10 games recently. Um, that, you know, that affects the bench. Anytime anybody misses time, it affects the bench. And so getting healthy helps the bench even more than it helps the starters. And then the other thing was, for the first two months of the st- season, Nick Nurse wasn't staggering Kyle and Kawhi at all. And that's a weapon you could always use to help the bench. Yeah, you saw recently, or at least we've seen a little bit more, these kind of Kyle and bench units, which moving forward, I believe, is kind of the path towards a successful bench. It's something that before last year's bench mob we saw a lot of with Kyle kind of keeping the second unit flow with his playmaking. The... My issue with the bench right now is there just seems to be a lack of creation, and there's a lot of arguments against Nurse using Fred Van Vliet as initiator too often, and I agree with those to some extent. Uh, my only counter to those is I, I just don't think that there are a lot of natural creators on this team, and I think that's the biggest weakness of the team in general, let alone the bench. Sure. I mean, when you're talking about, about guys who can create against the best defenses of the league, there actually aren't that many on any team in the league. 
You know, every t- it, it's hard to create good shots against a great defense. The Raptors have three guys who you could really depend on to do that, and that's, you know, Kyle, Kawhi, and Pascal. And DeLon, to some extent, you know, if he has, if he has a good pick-and-roll big man behind, beside him, and last year, Jakob Pertl created a lot for DeLon by setting those good screens, always being in position to be a threat on the roll, and that allowed DeLon to find those lanes to create for himself, for Yak, and for everybody else. Greg Monroe does a lot of things nicely offensively. He's not really a guy you worry about in the pick and roll because he's, you know, he's a lumbering big, even if he can set solid screens, he doesn't move that quickly. He's not, doesn't have the best hands. So you don't really have to worry about him blowing up your pick and roll coverage by catching on the move. Um, Once Jonas is back, that helps the lawn a lot. And, Jonas is also a guy for the bench who, if you have a broken possession where it's just nothing really working, you can sometimes just dump it into him in the post and he can create something against a lot of defenses. But um, going back to what you said, you know, they have been using Kyle with the bench more and that does give you a creator with them. The other thing they've been doing more recently is staggering Pascal, which is something I wanted to see earlier in the season. Um, Because Pascal provides all of that for the bench, too. And he's this second big man. He can help with the rebounding. He can, he, you know, he can guard the opponent's best player if the opponent is staggering their best player to get him out there against our bench. So I think there's a lot of solutions in there. But also, you know, the playoffs are going to shorten the rotation a little bit, and that should help the Raptors, too. So I'm not really concerned. I do understand the shooting concern, but I think I think it should work itself out. I'm less concerned about the shooting itself, just because if you look at the amount of guys who are shooting under their career averages, I at some level you when you get to halfway through the season, it's fair to wonder if they're ever going to kind of average out to their career averages. But I'm just not totally there worried with the shooting. Is I'm more worried with the bench as a whole, and yes, you mentioned that we've had tons of injuries and everybody's been banged up, but to me there's always some sort of injury, and an injury, let's say, to JV shouldn't sink your bench this much. I'm still not totally concerned. I would say I'm at a four or a five, but I do worry a little bit about kind of this group and their ability to create. You mentioned Pascal Siakam playing more bench units, and that's something that Nurse has experimented quite frequently. At one point, he was even taking him out, I think, believe, before the six-minute mark. And it's clear that the team, the bench really just misses him as far as being a grab-and-go guy, and they're not playing with the same pace as they were. Yeah, JV will help to some extent, but I don't know if he helps in the way to kind of bring the bench back to what it was last season. Sorry. I think last season it's important to remember, though, that, like, the bench's offense really fed off their defense last year. They weren't a great offensive creation unit, but they were an elite defensive unit, and that allowed them to generate a lot of offense from that. Right now, the bench is struggling a lot defensively. And, uh, you know, they... They're having trouble with the defensive rebounds. They're having trouble preventing guys from getting to the rim. Um, And I think 
this kind of goes against conventional wisdom, but I think Jonas Valanciunas is actually more important to the bench defensively than he is offensively because he's an underrated rib protector. He's improved his ability to, you know, not have to fall back quite as far in coverage on screens, but mostly he takes away the paint. He's a big body. He can block shots. He can affect shots. Um, I put out some numbers on Twitter, uh, earlier in the week. I don't have them handy anymore. But since Jonas um, got injured, the Raptors are giving up approximately four shots per game more at the rim in the restricted area than they were before he got injured. And the percentage has gone up a little bit. They've gone from sixth to ninth in terms of uh, percentage given up in the restricted area. But more importantly, non-restricted area paint field goals. The frequency's gone down a little bit, but they've gone from being the second best team in the league at defending those to being the third worst since Jonas got hurt. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. And you mentioned it goes against conventional wisdom for JV to improve the team defensively. That's true if we're talking him to maybe the average big man in the league. But when you consider the fact that his minutes are being soaked up by Greg Monroe, who's just an absolute uh, serve defensively, I it becomes clear that he's really being missed there, and I think he's being missed offensively. Greg Monroe, and you know, I don't want to be too harsh on the third center on the roster, but at some level, Greg Monroe's average point per shot attempt is below the 50th percentile, so he's below average at that. He's basically a turnover machine down low in the post. He's not a particularly great passer. I. And he's terrible defensively. At some level, I don't know what he's bringing to the team and why he's still receiving minutes, even with JV's injury. I mean, he's still giving you like 17 and 14 per 36, which is nice. Sure, Um, but if he's not doing it efficiently and the team's offense sinks whenever he's on the court, is he really helping you offensively, even if he is giving you those pure points? Yeah, I think it... I think a lot of it comes down to I don't think Nurse completely trusts Chris Boucher yet against you know against NBA rotation players as a center and and there's some logic there I mean, you don't want to run Siakam too many minutes at center because he's the last guy you can afford to get hurt right now and there just aren't a lot of options beyond those guys Chris Boucher I I love him I'd love to see him get more opportunities to prove himself in the rotation but he's also a really skinny guy and he's good to get bullied against bigger centers. Yeah, I agree. Um, As far as Pascal being hurt, is there any, and you know, that's conventional wisdom, so I guess I don't want, maybe anecdotally it's true, but is there any real evidence that you get injured more often playing at a higher position? I don't know about at a higher position. I do know, you know, like Pascal's already playing 31 minutes per game, and you don't really want to increase that if you can avoid it. Yeah, I, just my argument would be if when OG's available, I know he's out now, but I would rather see some Pascal at center minutes and we can increase minutes along the wing to make up for it. And I know this isn't a great rebounding team and you're only going to make that a bigger weakness as you play small. But, you know, the net rating numbers with Greg Monroe on the court have just been, I mean, they're terrible to look at. I think Toronto last I checked was negative 15 whenever he's on the court. So I just don't know how you can't find an upgrade, even if it is Pascal Siakam at center and playing other players at power forward more. There has to be a better option than minus 15 on the minutes he's out there. Yeah, I I can. (laughs) It's not pretty. 
Uh, and, like, I I think Monroe does give you some nice things. He's a heady player in the post. He can make some nice passes out. He's going to create some offense. It's not, you know, the prettiest offense. It's not always the most efficient offense. But he, he's going to get buckets on some guys down in the paint. Sure. Uh, to your passing point, he was a good passer. I don't know what's happened to him this year. He ranks in the first percentile in assist percentage at 3.5%, and his assist-to-usage ratio is in the bottom percentile. I didn't realize it was that bad. But yeah. <laughs> like, anecdotally, I've seen him make some of those passes, but you know, the bench has to they have to improve their off-ball movement. And, I mean, you mentioned earlier about Fred Van Vliet being on on ball and some people talking about that. To me, that's just like the biggest difference between Fred Van Vliet last year and this year is last year he was playing almost all of his minutes with Kyle Lowry or Pascal Siakam or, or DeLon, right? Two, mostly two of those guys. So he was playing a lot of off ball. And when he had to be relied on to create on ball, it was in situations that were, you know, controlled and the defense was already off guard because that bench just played so quickly and they, you know, they had this defense that smothered you and then they created off of that. This year, there's this weird thing going on where sometimes he's on the floor with Kyle and Kawhi and Pascal and you've got those guys standing in the corners while Fred's initiating the half-court offense against a set defense from the top of the key and that just doesn't make any sense to me. That's not Fred's game. That's not Kawhi's game. That's like that's that's not what you want those players doing. Yeah, yeah, I I'm with you as far as when those other guys are on the floor. Uh it's been weird how much Nurse has tried to kind of make Fred become this initiator of the offense. I think part of that is due to me, but you're right. I part of it just seems like a stubbornness of Nurse to kind of instill Fred as the creator of the offense. Yeah, I, I'm a big Fred Van Vliet fan, and I was really excited that they brought him back, but that, that also has to mean, you know, using him correctly, and that has to start with understanding that he's more of an off-ball guy on, on offense. He's a, he's a great spot-up shooter. Um. And he's a guy that defenses have to pay attention to in that role. So I think that's the best way to use him. And then, you know, have one of those other guys out there at all times. Have Kyle on the floor. Have Kawhi on the floor. Have Pascal on the floor. And if you've got those three guys, you can always stagger one of them to be out there to help generate offense for the bench. Um, Fred VanVleet's still going to be a really useful player. You look at his minutes with Kyle this year. He's been great when he's out there with Kyle, as long as the offense is running properly. Yeah, oh yeah, I'm still on. I'm still in on Fred as a player, and when he's the initiator of the offense, I think one of the problems is he's just he's not a very good finisher from within to uh, within the arc at this point in his career. That's okay. Everybody has flaws in their game. It just makes it difficult to be the sole initiator of the offense. Um, as we talked about kind of a lack of creation for this team and just different issues with this team, obviously every team has its flaws. I'm not, you're not going to fix every flaw heading into the postseason. Do you think that there's any kind of moves to be made either on the trade deadline or at the buyout market right now? It seems pretty unlikely, but I wouldn't say it's impossible. I, I don't think it's very likely because I think when you, start to break down 
who the Raptors don't want to trade, that sort of ends up giving you what they can get back. Because, you know, you don't want to trade any of the starters. Um, even Abaka, who going into the season, a lot of people were saying, if you can move his contract, you do it. Well, at this point, you don't. Because he's just, he fits too well right now with that starting lineup. This is about keeping Kawhi, so this is about a long extended playoff run. He matches up really well with a lot of playoff teams who run smaller lineups, who are going to try to play Jonas off the court if you try to play it as a full as your full time starter. So Abaka becomes a necessary piece. You know, obviously no Raptors fan's gonna want to trade Siakam at this point as he's a budding star. Um Kyle's untradeable, both as the leader of the team and his contract situation. So you break that, you take the starters off the table. Well, then you're not going to want to trade Fred. You're not going to want to. Tra- Norm's pretty hard to trade, even though he's been better lately. That contract isn't great. Yeah, it's still a negative value in my mind. Teams aren't going to want to take that on, especially if you're a rebuilding team. It's just it's too much committed for a player you're too unsure about. Exactly, OG. You probably could trade, but I'm not sure you want to. So. You're left with kind of like, if you can trade Norm, if you can trade DeLon, who's an upcoming free agent, CJ. Well, what are you going to get for that group of guys? I I love all three of them, but you're not bringing back a game changer for that. You're not getting Bradley Beal. Like, I I just want to say right now, a lot of Raptors fans have been throwing around. the, The Raptors trading for Bradley Beal is not realistic at all. So... The one I've kind of tossed around with a couple people on Twitter that I would personally love to see is I think it'd be fun to bring Terrence Ross home for the playoff run. Yeah, I, to me, I think what where the deal would happen if there was a deal is you would see a probably a C.J. Miles and DeLon Wright for a player of C.J.'s contract value that's a slight upgrade. So if you're a team that's kind of doesn't really have a backup point guard or is looking for a relatively low option. I think having DeLon's restricted rights is still valuable this year. So to me, he's kind of the trade piece, and CJ is the matching salary at this time. Yeah, so you're looking at, like a like I said, a Terrence Ross or a Wayne Ellington or a TJ Warren. Um, you know, a guy who can hit some shots, who might not be a complete negative defensively, but not a guy who's going to reshape your team. Just a guy who might give you a little bit of an extra scoring punch off the bench. And I I think that makes sense. You know, if Orlando falls out of the playoff race, which they haven't yet, they might look to sell on some of those contracts. So that those are the teams I would look at as the, the teams on the edge of the playoff race who might fall out, who might be able to send you a, a shooter. Because that's kind of where the Raptors have their run hole. But I don't think you're bringing in a star, and I don't think personally you need to. I think Jonas Valanciunas is, you know, he was a top 50 player in the NBA this season before he got hurt. Is he always going to be a top 50 player? Maybe not, but he's a really good rim protector who creates a lot of offense for you and who rebounds really well. That's got a ton of value, and you're missing that. So once you have that back in the rotation, that makes a big difference. Once you have Kyle back to fully healthy and we'll see how close he can get as the next couple weeks go on, um, that makes a big difference. So I'm not that 
feeling like you need a trade. I just feel like you need a healthy team. Yeah, that's fair. Um, do you worry? We talked about JV, and he's such a big part of this team. Do you worry about his ability to translate in the playoffs? Uh, it's, I mean, with the few matchups we've seen against Boston so far, it's pretty clear he's not going to play against Al Horford in any capacity, at least when the two are both at center. Versus Milwaukee, he's averaging only 13 minutes per game in the matchups that we've had. Does he kind of worry you just, you know, I I get that he's a good player and that he does provide rim protection, but he still, to me, is someone that you can target during the playoffs defensively, or is that just something that Toronto's going to have to deal with and it's kind of a flaw that you have to have during the playoffs? Well, I'd agree with you on those two matchups, although... Against Boston, he's really good against Aaron Baines, who um, played in the last matchup, and I'm, I'm not sure how many minutes he played in the first two, off the top of my head. So he does match up well with Baines against, uh, but then also like he's really good against Indiana's front court. He's really good against Philadelphia's front court. So it depends on who you match up against, and I'd also say like Jonas has been really good in past playoff runs. You know, you look at the 2016 run to the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, he he was fantastic in that Indiana series. Probably one of some of the best basketball I've ever seen him play. And he was off to a torrid start in the Miami series before he got hurt. Sure, yeah. I, he's been good in previous postseason. I, I still think you can't kind of look at him and not see at least a slight weakness defensively to attack. But with that being said, you know, every team has a weakness going into the playoffs. Even the Warriors, you know, they know that they don't have that much backcourt shooting with the exception of Steph and Clay. It's just at some level you have to have a weakness on your team. And I, if maybe JV is a defensive liability out there, but as long as it's a small enough of a problem that you can deal with it, then it's not something that you necessarily need to fix. And and if you can't, if you absolutely can't play him in a certain matchup, the Raptors do have options with Ibaka, with Siakam, you know, even with Boucher if you have to go that far into the rotation. So they do have options for a quicker guy at center. Um, but I think, you know, if you project forward to the finals, if DeMarcus Cousins, he looked okay last night, not great, but okay. If he's going to be a factor in the NBA finals and the Raptors get there, you need Jonas because he's played pretty well against Boogie in the past, and you can't go into that matchup going, playing Ibaka against Boogie for 30 minutes a night. Sure, yeah. It, it's tough to have $17 million tied up in a guy who might be just played off the floor in certain matchups, but you're just kind of at the point where, to me, you can't do much about it that doesn't negatively impact the team more than it helps the team. Yeah, I don't think like I don't think you would look at trading him because then you're vulnerable to big centers. And if you're trading him just to bring back another center, are you bringing back a guy who matches up in those big matchups as well as he does and doesn't hurt you more in another way? Yeah, I agree. Um, just kind of one of that's kind of my big concern with JV moving forward. So I just I, I don't think there's anything you can do about it, but it is I think one of the kind of watermarks of this team and one of the areas to watch for this team last year he had last year the playoffs I, I believe he had the best defensive rating on the team and they didn't play great matchups for him in the playoffs last year 
No, yeah, the Cavs are would be what you would like characteristic characterize as the worst matchup for JV. And yet he seemed to perform better than or not seemed to. He performed better than Ibaka during that series. So I I don't worry as much with Jonas as I do with other guys. And the most important thing with Jonas defensively is he's at his best defensively when you have adequate perimeter defenders in front of him. And in years past, and I'm, I'm not going to name names, but in years past, there have been issues on the perimeter with the perimeter defense for the Raptors in the playoffs that have made it so that Jonas was often trying to cover up issues defensively. And he's never going to do that. He's never going to, you know, cover up for another guy's problem and then get back and do his own job because he's not going to be mobile enough to do that. But if you can let him stay in his own lane defensively, he's going to give you that. Yeah, that's fair. Um, kind of just transitioning to the something a little less important and a little less serious. Uh, do you think who do you think makes the All Star team for Toronto this season? I I think there's a real possibility they only have one All Star, and that's Kawhi. I think that I think that's definitely possible. I would think the coaches might put Kyle in. He deserves it. Um, his you know his counting stats don't jump off the sheet, but. He's been a big impact guy for the season. He was an MVP candidate for the first month of the year. And, yeah, his shooting's not been there lately, but still, the Raptors are a far better team when he's on the court than when he's off. And, you know, personally, I think it'd be a little weird if Philly, the four seed, got, you know, three all-stars and the number one and two seed in the East each got one. Yeah, that would be weird, but I I don't know just because you're – I don't know if it would be incorrect. For Kyle, to me, it's not his play on the court. It just, at some level, it's a games played thing with him where you have to kind of look at it and be like, well, you only played X amount of games this season. I mean, he's still played 36 games. It's not like he's missed most of the season. Um, no, and the same as Kawhi, so. But obviously he hasn't been as impactful as Kawhi in those 36. Yeah. I, I'd like to see him get it partially just for legacy reasons. I think... You know, we downplay the importance of the All-Star game because the game itself usually kind of sucks to watch. And, you know, the fan voting is always a little bit silly as far as who gets in. You mean so Dwight I, Wade and Derrick Rose don't deserve to be in? I I wouldn't have <laughs> them on the team though, yeah, if it was I, me just kidding. <laughs> um, so I think we, we talk about it as if it's, you know, All-Star voting doesn't matter. But realistically, like, you know... When you talk who's going to the Hall of Fame, All-Star Games is always one of the first conversations you're having. So, these things matter. And yeah. when you're talking... Sorry, you're talk- it, it's so weird that we base it off All-Stars, but you're you're absolutely right. We base it off All-Stars, which is one, flawed because of the fan vote and everything else, and two, flawed just based on the conference that you're in. It's so much easier for you know Joe Johnson to accumulate a bunch of All-Star Games as opposed to Mike Conley. Definitely. And I look at two guys in the East right now who I think are fringe All-Stars and might not make it this year, and it really matters for them on Hall of Fame probability, and that's Kyle Lowry and Al Horford. And they've been two of, over the last, like, seven years in the NBA. Behind LeBron, Kyle Lowry and Al Horford might have had more impact on the shape of the Eastern Conference than any other player. Yeah, um, that's true. Yeah, they and those are two guys that you know their box score stats won't jump jump off when you start to look at Hall of Fame candidacy. But when you 
watch them and you look at the advanced numbers, you just know that those guys have made a bigger impact than their immediate counting stats will show. Exactly. And each of them has made a couple All-Star games, but they don't have an overwhelming number of them. They don't have an overwhelming number of other awards. You know, Lowry's made an All-NBA team. I believe Horford has made one. Uh, I'd have to check. I think he made last year, did he not? I could Uh, be wrong. Um, he has made yeah, he, one in 2010 and 11, so not last year. And he made all defensive last year. And both of those guys are guys who are going to have an interesting Hall of Fame case when they retire. But they're not going to be shoo-ins. So I think when you look at that and you start to take legacy in, into play, I'd like to see them both make the All-Star game because I'd like to see them strengthen their Hall of Fame case because they're I like that type of player, the type of player who goes into a game and says, you know, I'm not going to get mine, but I'm going to make sure every guy around me gets his. And that's what Kyle Lowry does for the Raptors this year. He's not shooting the best, and he's not hunting his own shot, but when he's out there, he's making sure everybody else is finding a way to feel involved. Yeah, and you see with his advanced numbers and his on-off numbers, just the impact that he makes. Even when he's not playing well, he makes such an impact on this team just by doing the little things and constantly moving and making the right pass. Uh, another question, and this is just something that kind of dawned on me. I was listening to the Simmons and Lowe podcast where they talked about who's making All-NBA team as far as forwards. Is it possible that Kawhi is the third team All-NBA this season? Oh, boy. Um, and, and how bad will Raptors Twitter be upset? I think it's possible. I think think I think it's more likely he makes second team personally uh, so do I I think when it comes down to it despite the season that Paul George is having by the numbers right now he's having a better season than Kawhi in my opinion when you account for all the games that he's played I just think at the end of the day the all NBA team they're going to vote for legacy and the guys like LeBron KD Kawhi will all make it ahead of Paul George yeah, I think, you know, the Raptors will win a lot more games than Oklahoma City, so that's going to help, too. Um, yeah, that's a good point. So I, I think it's more likely he makes second team, but, boy, Raptors Twitter is going to go nuts if he ends <laughs> up being a, a third-team guy. And it's it's possible. Forward is just a loaded position. Well, um, the, the person that's next to him, the gap between seven and eight for four, or, I'm sorry, between five and six is a pretty wide gap, so to see if you have, you know, even if it's possible, I don't think that LeBron will ever be a third-team All-NBA guy, but if you see, like, LeBron James and Player X, it just will be funny to see. Well, I mean, that also really depends on how long LeBron's out now, because if LeBron's out for another month, month and a half, he might, they might just not put him on All-NBA. Because, you know, Chris Paul played 61 last year, and he didn't make it. Right, I'm, I'm under the assumption that LeBron comes back, you know, sometime within the next couple of weeks, and I thought he'd already be back by now, so maybe I'm wrong. But I'm under the assumption he comes back, and likely he'll be at a similar game's play to Kawhi at that time. The the last estimate I saw said he might be out, like, another six to eight weeks. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, well. You know, Rich Paul has been quietly dropping hints with various media people that this is not a simple injury for LeBron. And I don't know how much of that is. He doesn't think they can make a title run this year, so maybe he's saving himself for 
next season when he thinks they'll be a more loaded team. And I, you know, I've gotten in all sorts of trouble on the internet for my opinions on that, but uh, I, maybe there's some of that playing into it. Maybe he's trying to put pressure on the Lakers front office to make a move this season. But I don't know that LeBron, he's 34. He's played a, a ridiculous number of career minutes at this point. Like, I mean, we're talking about a guy who, at 34, has played 45,000 NBA minutes. And that's not even counting his playoff minutes, where he's played another uh, 10,000 there. So 50, he's got 55,000 NBA minutes on his body. That takes a toll. And it could be that this is the injury that lingers a little bit and takes some time for him to get past. He's not that much younger at this point than, you know, guys like, Kobe and Jordan when their bodies started to break down on them. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good point. And we'll see where he gets. That might help Kawhi's case. I just, to me, it will be funny to watch collectively Raptors Twitter with their already opinion of the NBA media if Kawhi does not make a first or second team all NBA. To be frank, even if he doesn't make first team, I think you'll see some people upset. So to watch the meltdown if he gets third will well, at least he, bring a little joy to my heart. I, I do love a little chaos. Here's a weird one. What if he ends up being third team All-NBA but, like, fifth in MVP voting? Yeah, I think that's very possible. I think he could be even higher than fifth. Like, I think realistically, once you talk about James Harden, Giannis, it's so open that you could see people voting Kawhi third and that he gets a third or fourth, fourth place MVP uh, ballot, but yet is on the third team NBA. Well, the only other name I'd put in there ahead of him is Steph. I think Steph. Yeah, is... and Davis is probably ahead of him right now, but their record is bad enough that I think it starts to. If Toronto finishes with the best record in the East, I think people will start to argue for both those guys ahead of the other two names. I perhaps Kawhi is only fourth, but I do think that he'll get some votes just from best player and the best team in the NBA. I mean, Steph's quietly having such a ridiculous season. Like, he's putting up 30 points per game on 49-45-92 splits. Yeah, if he, I mean, if he gets 50-40-90, that also, you know, I'm, those round numbers might not seem like much, but they do matter in the eyes of the voters. So, I mean, we saw that with the triple-double. So He's shooting 45% from three on 11.8 attempts per game. Yeah, oh, no, it's besides his, you know, unanimous MVP season – it's, to me, the second-best season in his career. So he certainly deserves recognition for it. I just am a little more skeptical to the narrative of the storyline, which matters so much, even if it shouldn't. Yeah, no, I, I could agree with that. The Warriors are – every Warriors player is always in a narrative deficit because fans are so ready to hate that team. But, like, I would tell fans to – watch some more Warriors games and appreciate what Steph is doing right now because it might be a long time before we see another guy who can do what he does. Yeah, that's a fair point. Uh, before we go, is there anything kind of that you want to mention about Toronto or that you want to talk about? I I would say, you know, just to the Raptors fans, appreciate this season. It's, it's stressful. There's a lot going on with, you know, trying to make a – finals run now that LeBron's finally out of the East, trying to prove that this team isn't the playoff joke that a lot of people think they are. I don't think they are, personally. I think, you know, losing to LeBron isn't as much of a mark of shame as people make it out to be. And, you know, 
Nobody else in the East has beat LeBron in the last four years either. No, I, I think there's a middle ground between saying that they're a playoff joke and then also realizing the failures of the team and that you shouldn't be swept like that in the last I, one. And I think that was the most disappointing one, at least to me. I agree with that. But also, like, you know, this is a special season for the Raptors. This is the best season in Raptors history. We've got the best player in a Raptors uniform we've ever had before. And Kawhi might leave this summer. We don't know. There's no way to know before really July 1st. Um, but appreciate this, too. You don't want to be going into next summer and having Kawhi take off for L.A. and then the Raptors have to start a rebuild. And you sitting there and, and to be sitting there and saying, you know, I wish I'd enjoyed that season more. So as much as there's all this stress about all this thing, these things surrounding the team, take some time to enjoy this season because – it might also be a rebuilding next year next year. And that's not the worst thing. Masai, we've never seen Masai with high draft picks before. He built this team with two lottery picks on it. Imagine what he could do with some actual good draft picks. Right. You know, that's a good point, I think, for all teams. As when It's almost as if when you're the young team that's overachieving, fans seem to have more fun than the top contending teams where it feels so much more stressful and so much more, there's so much more urgency with your team that you don't enjoy it more. But just considering what might happen, and I don't, like you, I we obviously have no idea what Kawhi's going to do, but just considering what might happen and the, what might be in the future, just enjoy the season where you are actually contending for an NBA championship. And I think the chance to keep Kawhi is probably a little bit higher than a lot of people are making it right now. Like, I'd probably put it at about 40 to 50% that he stays right now. Uh, I'd say I'm probably lower than that, but not significantly. I'm probably at like 33 would be where I think I'd say a third chance is probably a pretty fair number. And I think, you know, obviously the Raptors make the ECF, that goes up. The Raptors make the finals, that goes way up. The Raptors win the title, I don't think he's leaving. But It would be really weird, although I think you might see it with Durant this season, but... That's a different scenario. Yeah, it would be weird to watch uh, the best player from the best team leave. So, I, you know, it, it's worth enjoying. It, it is what it is. What happens next summer is obviously going to loom over the rest of the season. But also, enjoy this. Regardless of what happens on any given night right now, every game doesn't have to be a referendum on this team. They're 34-13. and 13. That's an awesome record. They've won a lot of games. You're going to take some lumps along the way in a season. Everybody does. The 73-9 and the 73 and nine Lakers or uh, Warriors lost to the Lakers because Steph got outplayed by a, a, what was the name of that Lakers point guard? Uh, I can't think of it. Sorry, I know who you're uh, talking about, and he's sticking out of my mind right now, but I can't think of it. Um, Marcelo Hortus. Yes, I should have known that name, obviously. <laughs> because he had a out-of-body experience for one game and outplayed Steph. The 73-9 Warriors lost to the Lakers. Everybody takes games like that. So the Raptors are going to have some disappointing performances, but the overall season is really good, and let's have some fun with it. I agree. Good point to end on. Thank you so much for joining me. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. 
every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.